Well, good morning, church. It's good to see your faces. It's good to gather again. That was the theme of the sermon last week, how we need each other, and it's, it's good to be here together. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, your word promises that your word will not return void, and so I pray a blessing on these people through your word today, that you would minister to their hearts in Jesus' name, amen. I just love looking around the room. I'm sorry. I know you want me to get to it, get to the point maybe, but um, there's a vantage point here you don't get to see. <laughs> and that vantage point, it shows God's people. It shows what we're going to be talking about today. And that you're here because you have relationship. You have relationship with the Lord. You have relationship with each other. And that's a beautiful thing. And as I look out at you, I see that. I see marriages together because of the gospel. I see friendships together because of the gospel. I see parents with kids in harmony because of the gospel. And that's not the case in our world. That doesn't naturally happen. It's actually spectacular to see that. And in our next slide here, I have a photo. Sometimes kids understand this better than adults, don't they? This is from a campaign they ran. Uh, I don't know, raise your hand. Did you see a commercial from He Gets Us it's a Jesus, at the Super Bowl? Did you see that last week? Yeah, I remember one of the videos, it, it was about a minute long of black and white photos of adults yelling at each other. And they were taking photos from the protests, from George Floyd, different things over COVID these last couple of years, just kind of showing <laughs> the climate of what's been created when, when that reconciliation is not there, when the relationship is not there. When there's no ears and only a speakerphone. And yet Christ died for this. Christ died for this. And so we're looking at another commitment of love today. Another commitment for community. And that's a commitment to reconciliation. And this commitment is illuminated to us not only on Mount Sinai where God is giving the law to the people of Israel for how to be a community, but as Jesus climbs up the mount in the Sermon on the Mount and explains the law of Moses and these concepts, we see it illuminated to us in Matthew chapter 5. So if you'll turn there in your Bibles with me you'll see that Matthew 5 is the start of the Sermon on the Mount. And we keep referring to these verses, these, these chapters. They show us how to interpret what we're seeing thousands of years back on Mount Sinai. And in Matthew 
Jesus tells them, you know, you need to follow the law even better than the Pharisees. Even better than the people whose full-time job it is to discuss and follow these rules. You need to surpass that. And Jesus drives right to the heart of a lot of the law, which, as we've seen in the New Testament, explains it, it's to love God and to love others. That is the law of Christ. And so, the rest of Matthew 5, six times, it gives us, you've heard it said, refers to something in the law, and then it tells them how they've been misinterpreting that and misapplying that and gives us the very heart of how these are actually commitments of loving a community together. And the first of which, he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. And if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. In other words, if you commit murder, you're guilty. We're going to throw the flag, <laughs> like in football, and call a penalty on that if you commit a murder. What a low bar to set in terms of building community if that's the only intent of that law. If your parent, parent talking to the children, are you guys getting along in the back seat of the car? And go, yeah, I haven't killed them yet. Okay, good job. Good job. You know, keep on fighting over that seat and fighting over those skittles. As long as you don't kill each other, we're okay. No. As my mom often said to me and my three brothers, be nice. <laughs> and a lot of times, we'd, on the way home from church even, we'd get dropped off on a gravel road about a mile from our house saying, you guys walk home and figure this out. And thankfully, <laughs> that de-escalated things, and by the time we got home, we were laughing and throwing rocks in the ditch, and things were good. They knew us. We were just getting stir-crazy in the back seat. We were boys, and we were meant to, we were meant to wiggle. <laughs> the idea is to be getting along. <laughs> To live in harmony and to live in love with each other. It's not just don't kill. It's not just don't bring death, but it's bring life, right? That's the intent of the law. Back in the summer, we did a sermon called Weed Pulling, about getting sin out of our life. It's not just to get that out, but it's about making space for things to grow that God actually does want. And that is rich harmony, intimacy of relationship with one another. That's the space that we need for that to grow. You think about the closest relationship you have in your life or have ever had with a friend or with a spouse, maybe a parent, a grandparent, but the closest relationship you've ever had. You think about the ingredients that went into that. Now think about the worst relationship in your life you've ever had. We're just being close to each other. <laughs> There's such dysfunction. You could just, nothing can go right, you know? There's nothing you could say that won't spark another fight. 
We want to be a church that's like the former instead of the latter. And here's how we do it. Let's continue on. Verse 22 says, Jesus says, but I say to you, so he's going to raise the bar. He's going to show the intent behind this. If you really want to follow the intent of this law, here's what we're going after. He says, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Again, I think of that parent and the kids in the back seat shouting, you idiot! <laughs> and then someone might cuss and, oh, whoa, hey, parent steps in. What's going on here, right? It's getting out of control. I noticed when I was looking at the Greek words here, which is what it's originally written in, whenever it says this word someone, which sounds kind of vague, but three times in this verse it says someone, someone, someone. It says brother. It's the word for brother, a family member. And so for a, a family of all boys, three brothers, I thought about that. But this is not just someone. This is not an anonymous person online that's of a different political party here making a Facebook post. This is, this is someone, this is a brother. And just from that, I take away, you know what? We treat people like someones way too often. We treat people like someones way too often. Rather than a brother or a sister. Someone that you know you have to share the back seat of the van with. You treat those relationships a little differently than the ones you can just run away and hide from, right? When you've got to share the backseat of a van, you know that for everybody's sanity, you've got you to figure this out. And as a church, in a way, God has put us all in the backseat of a van. And there's a watching world to see if we're going to figure it out. I love approaching this topic early on as a pastor here before I need to. I just love, I just love that. And I love that for this series, to be able to take topics. I mean, we talked about offerings two weeks ago. We didn't need that. You guys have been extremely generous <laughs> in your giving as we looked at the You'll see that in the business report next week at our business meeting. But what they're doing on Mount Sinai, they're thinking through before they go on their road trip to the promised land, they're like, you know what? Let's talk about some stuff before it happens. And I think that's good leadership. I think God knew what he was doing when he said, all right, there's going to be conflict, Israel. You're going to have to figure this out. Sometimes people are going to get angry. What are you going to do with that? Moses, he got angry a lot. I never touched on it too strongly as I read through Exodus with you all. But, I mean, when he saw the slave driver beating a Hebrew, he got angry. 
and he took matters in his own hands. Many times when he left Pharaoh, it says he, he walked out fuming angry. We see it when he comes down the mountain and he sees the people disobeying the Lord. He breaks the stone tablets. You realize how hard you have to throw stone tablets to break them? He was angry. He gets angry at the people, and later in his ministry, it catches up to him. He ends up disobeying the Lord out of his anger. So Moses understands this angry thing. And I think we can all understand that. When there's injustice that happens, there's anger. And what do you do with that? There's an avenue, there's a channel for that. And it's not to call them an idiot. <laughs> right? You see how now we have come on the spiral. <laughs> that if you meet an offense with an offense, what's about to happen next? An offense. Okay, now we're on the spiral. And we see that way too often in our world. Way too often. Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger, do not sin. Don't continue the spiral. Three verses later in Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. And you might say, well... That's about impossible unless I just stayed silent for a little bit. Yeah? That might be the right thing to do. You can take that anger to the Lord. The Psalms are very <laughs> direct with the Lord. And there's a lot of anger in it. Where someone's saying, God... As David did when his own son was trying to kill him. Or when his own pastor, leader, was trying to kill David, God would cry out on Psalm saying, God, this isn't right. I'm angry at this. Poured that out to the Lord. There's channels for our anger. There's a right way to do this. And often churches don't put systems in place for this to happen in a God-honoring way. It needs to be addressed. And yet often the only options given aren't healthy ones. So let's continue. Verse 23 says, So if you're presenting a sacrifice, the word here is literally offering. If you're presenting an offering to the Lord at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Because what's most important? What does God really care about, right? Was it ever about the offering? No, it's about loving others. So, so leave it there. And I love this language. We'll see it in another, we're going to look at Matthew 18 next. But I love this language from what we saw Moses Moses was told early on in his ministry, he said, go, set the people free. And here's a practical way in this church we can do a go. And this one says, go. 
and be reconciled to that person. Then come back and offer your sacrifice to God. Go and be reconciled to that person. Verses 25 through 26 that close out this section. It seems maybe somewhat out of place, and yet it's not. It begins by saying, when you're on your way to court with your adversary. So now it feels like, what are we talking about here? Well, the very opening part of this passage said, if you call your brother an idiot, you are guilty to be brought before the court. Now, you're on your way to court. Because we've all sinned. None of us have done this right. And the court and the judge we stand before before is not the it's not the brother in the back seat, but it's the driver of the van. It's our heavenly father that we stand before to hold an account. Oftentimes in relationships, we forget about that third party. We think it's just me and them, and yet there is a Heavenly Father, the driver of the van. And He wants to see harmony among His children. And every one of us, every last one of us, is guilty. You think about the relationships that have been closest to you in your life. That sweet, sweet closeness. I bet you've had to work through times when you've hurt them, right? You've been guilty. We all know that that's required for relationship. And that's required in a relationship with the Lord. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that the judge that we stand before took our punishment and our guilt upon himself. Matthew 26, verse 66, says, What is your verdict? As Jesus stood sentenced in the court, and the people were cried, Guilty. They shouted, he deserves to die. He took that guilt upon himself so that we can stand right before him and so that we can make amends to one another. Jesus Christ is our peacemaker and therefore we are called to be peacemakers. So we're going to turn now and look at Matthew 18. This fits the themes we've seen already about being in the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. And so now in Matthew 18, verse 15, we see three verses that carry on this similar theme. But not only, now is it, it's not making amends to others. This is now confronting others. You see, both ends of the deal 
whether your brother shoved you or you got shoved, both are required to be peacemakers. And so in 1815, it says, if another believer sins against you, go, go. Privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. This is step one for us as a church. And Jesus, he did that to us. We were that person that he won back, right? He came to us and brought us back. And we're to do that to others. We're to lead with that same type of mercy. At the end of this chapter, there's a parable of forgiveness where someone is forgiven a great debt from their employer, but then they go to their co-worker and they don't forgive their co-worker for about a $10 debt when they had just been forgiven millions. And in that parable that you see there in your Bibles, verse 33 says, Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And so we're to go, and we're to go in mercy because we want to win back that relationship. It can't just be ignored. We need to talk about this. But we go in mercy. Verse 16, it shares step two. If you are unsuccessful, take one or two brothers with you and go. Go back again. A lot of people don't do this. A lot of people don't do this. It says go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. A lot of people don't do this because a lot of times it's safer to not do this in people's minds. It's, it's often safer to grab the wrong brother and say, let me tell you about this, <laughs> right? In the law in Leviticus 19, 16, it says, do not go around spreading, spreading gossip about each other. Nineteen seventeen says, Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your brothers, but instead confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Goes on in verse 18, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. See how Jesus is taking what's been said and he's sharing the intent in the heart of it. In verse 17, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now that might sound kind of harsh. <laughs> and yet, the goal is reconciliation. In each of these three steps, the person offended goes. They're part of it. And the reason is because they're not just trying to resolve a problem. The main issue isn't 
Who gets the Skittles in the back seat? Right? You solve problems, but you reconcile relationships. And that's why the word reconciliation is used here, because the biggest problem is not the Skittles and who gets them. The biggest problem is this relationship that is being torn apart that breaks God's heart. And so that person, as the church comes in to help this restoration, this reconciliation happen, that person being there gives the opportunity for this to happen. To functionally have the right people in the room to figure this out. I also note, whenever in the Gospel of Matthew, it just piques my interest whenever Matthew talks about tax collectors. Because he is one. You know, so when he says, treat him like a tax collector, I can't imagine he's slamming himself that hard, right? In Matthew 9, Jesus came and called Matthew a tax collector. when we say, okay, well, how are we supposed to treat tax collectors? Well, how did Jesus treat a tax collector in Matthew 9? He came to Matthew and said, be reconciled to me. And then he ate dinner with Matthew and his friends to the point that the religious leaders said, how can Jesus be eating with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus said, it's not the righteous I've been called to that need a doctor with the stick. So even though this seems harsh, it's still in mercy saying we want this person to realize that they need to be reconciled. Even in church discipline, there's love, right? To be done in grace and truth. And the goal is always reconciliation. The goal is always Jesus' call saying, come back to me. Come back to your brother. And a lot of people leave the church and they say, you know what? I'm just going to do this thing with me and God and we're good, right? And yet, how can you love God without loving his bride, the church? You want to invite me over for dinner? and say, Hosanna, and Elaine can't come? I'm going to say, what? And, and if you say, no, no, but we're good. We're good. I just don't like your little girl. I say, I say uh, what? What? <laughs> like, I, I think I'm going to have dinner with my wife and little girl instead, you know? And a lot of times people treat, treat it like that. Oh, I'm spiritual. I'm good with God, and yet we turn our back on our brother. And God is saying, what? We say, well, God, I'm giving you my offering, right? I'm giving you my everything. God's saying, that, I don't want that. remember if it's Micah or Malachi 6 but he says I don't want your sacrifices or your offerings but I want you to seek justice and love mercy that's what I want
So, reconciliation. I'll share one last verse with you out of Corinthians. It uses this word about five times. And I just love that as it commissioned us as a church, it says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Right? When he says, what? We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God uses each other in our lives. And he wants there to be that sweet, sweet fellowship. And yet conflict's going to happen. And when it does, come talk to me. Sometimes we don't even tend for those things to happen but they still need to be addressed. Come talk to me. Come talk to your brother. And if you need that second or third person because you realize something's just still not connecting, then go find an elder at the church and say, hey, can you come, can you help us maybe figure this out? Can you help us figure this out in our marriage? Can you help me figure this out with another member of the church? And the commitment we have to that is the same reconciliation commitment Jesus Christ had. Not to come in with the hammer, pronounce the sentence, but to come in with mercy. With the heart that wants to see peace for the people of God. Amen. And so in closing, our last slide here is, that's a commitment of love be reconciled probably be one of the hardest things you do and if you need to work up the guts and the courage to do that just sit in the parable of Matthew 18 think about the forgiveness we've received for he who has been forgiven much loves much and so let's apply this first of all in your relationship with God if you don't know him you're not going to know fellowship Though we, we should. Let's do this in our homes, in our marriages, and with our children, with our family members. It's often the hardest place to do it. And yet there's so much reward in living at peace at home. Let's do this at work. Let's do that this at church. Let's do this in our world. Let's pray. Lord, I pray protection over this people of God. Lord, protect their relationships. Lord, with you, with each other. The enemy 
the enemy of God's people wants to destroy those relationships. And so we pray for protection. We pray for reconciliation. Pray for the church to be a loving church committed to you and one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.